1: The things you can do to prevent allergy include keeping your baby's skin healthy. And Katie, you're gonna like this one. Eat a diverse diet during pregnancy and feed your baby a diverse diet, including the allergens.
0: Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby-led weaning. Hey guys, welcome back. Doing a what's new in food allergy roundup update today with Dr. Ron Sunog. So if you've listened to the podcast for any length of time, you're probably very familiar with Dr. Ron Sunog, who is a pediatrician who happens to have a very special interest in using food To help prevent food allergy. He's the author of a book called Eat the Eight, Using Food to Prevent Food Allergy and the Imperfect Art of Medicine. One of my favorite books for really understanding why it's so important to introduce these allergenic foods early and often. He's been on the podcast a number of times in the past. Dr. Sunag and I teach a food allergen introduction course together. I just absolutely love working with him. And I don't know where he gets the time, but he's like, Katie, I just read all of these new articles about things that are new in food allergy, and I want to come on and talk about it. So, he not only wrote the questions for the interview, wrote the answers. I mean, this is great. He read all the articles for us, you guys. So, Dr. Sunog is here to give us a little bit of an update on food allergy in pediatrics, and particularly in babies what's new and notable. With no further ado, here is Dr. Ron Sunog, MD, author of Eat the Eight and Pediatrician. He's in the Boston area. And I just picture him like sitting in his office, reading all of these lengthy, really dense articles and then summarizing them for us. So thanks, Dr. Sunog.
1: Oh, well, hello, Katie. Uh, Great to be back.
0: All right, before we dive in with what's new and notable in pediatric food allergies, real quick, give our audience some background on how you came to be so interested in and focused on using food to prevent food allergies.
1: Okay, so um, I've been a pediatrician for over 30 years. I've seen the uh, expert and official recommendations for how to feed infants change and change again, as, as anyone will over a period of time like that. And in 2015, there was a landmark study called the LEAP study that showed that feeding peanut to infants actually prevented food allergy. That was a groundbreaking, earth-shattering discovery. And uh, the idea of being able to prevent food allergy simply by feeding a uh delicious and and nutritious food to infants was just something that uh, really um, was very exciting. And especially because we had been telling parents the wrong thing. And here was an opportunity to fix that and do the right thing.
0: All right. So we've chatted a number of times on the podcast in the past about some really specific things about food allergies we did. You know, is it safe to introduce peanuts to babies during COVID? Actually, we did that right when COVID started, which feels so long ago now. But we did a few other episodes on uh, what do you do if your baby has an allergic reaction to food. And so I'm going to link to all of the previous episodes that you've done on the show notes. Or if you guys just go to blwpodcast.com and type in Sunog, S-U-N-O-G, all of Dr. Sunog's other episodes will pop up. Today, we're going to be talking about some new and notable things, just kind of like a hodgepodge of what's going on in the world of food allergies. And I love this because you read prolifically. I can tell because you're always forwarding me emails like, do this on the podcast. Do that on the podcast. I love it. So let's start with the latest, newest allergenic food, sesame. Any updates you can share on the newest major allergenic food, which is sesame?
1: Okay. So uh, do you remember sesame was added to uh, the list of major food allergens not that long ago. So I think people are thinking about it a lot now. Good news about sesame. First, uh, just last November, There was a study that showed if your child has sesame allergy, they can actually safely eat small amounts of intact sesame seeds. Now, the researchers discovered this. They did an oral food challenge. That's where you feed small amounts and slowly increasing amounts of food to uh, a child who's allergic uh, to see if they react. And they took 51 children and they actually fed them these pretzels covered with sesame seeds or about 20 seeds on each pretzel. And 80% of the children were able to eat three pretzels. That's a total of 60 sesame seeds with no reaction. That's a very uh, positive finding. Uh, What's important to understand from this study is that 20% did react. Okay, so the study does not tell you if your child has sesame allergy, just go ahead and eat sesame. And uh, it's important also to know, though, that... Since some of the kids were able to tolerate sesame, we now know, and we've always known, but this proves again, that an allergic reaction to food isn't an all or none thing. It doesn't mean if you're allergic to sesame, uh, if you have one sesame seed, you're going to react. So it's very reassuring. If your sesame allergic child accidentally eats a very few sesame seeds, they're probably going to be okay. At the same time, of course, you know you have to continue to be careful.
0: Now, for Parents who have children with food allergies, if I can kind of interpret what you're saying, it kind of follows along what we know with milk ladders and egg ladders that perhaps there's the potential for, even though you may have a diagnosed food allergy, it's not necessarily the case that lifelong avoidance of that allergenic food is like your diagnosis or your death knell, right? Like you might be able to safely eat this food later. Obviously, some kids grow out of certain allergies, but does it look like sesame might be one that kids grow out of?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So perhaps unlike the egg or milk ladder at this point, there's uh, no known, you know, sesame ladder that may be coming someday. But what we do know, and this is again from another oral food challenge, the study looked at the number of children who had a reaction to sesame at an average age of about 11 months. And about a third of those children had outgrown that allergy by five years of age. So the real take-home message here. If your child is allergic to sesame, don't just uh, put that on their medical problem list and forget all about it. Uh, Follow up with your allergist at appropriate intervals. Get retested. At some point, probably have an oral food challenge. There's a pretty good chance your child will outgrow it. And that's great
0: news. And then just reiterating the message that you and I always share, which is early introduction of these allergenic foods is advisable. There's no benefits to withholding the introduction of these foods. And what I think is interesting, Dr. Sunag, when we were developing our course, Eat the Eight, which is about helping parents safely feed food versions of these allergenic foods, we were looking at the statistics of sesame allergy and they vary quite greatly around the world. And if you see a much higher concentration and higher rates of sesame allergy in the Middle East, oh my gosh, why, what is it? Is something in the soil? Like, no, it's just the mere fact that sesame, usually in the form of tahini and hummus and different cultural foods in the Middle East, is a food that you're just more likely to be feeding to a baby in certain parts of the world than in others. So it's not, you know, we we want to be incorporating that food and we know that it may has the potential to reduce the risk of allergy down the road. So would you agree that continued early introduction is still a good idea for sesame?
1: Absolutely. Again, as you were saying, you can't react to something you don't eat. And <laughs> so if we lived in a world where foods didn't travel across cultures and from country to country, you could potentially never eat a food. And then of course you could never react. But when that food does become part of the culture, not eating it during infancy may increase the risk of developing an allergy. So yes, absolutely, eat it during infancy.
0: So let's talk about peanut allergy. Dr. Sunog, any new studies you're aware of that you can share with us in regards to peanut? You mentioned LEAP, kind of the original landmark trial that really changed the way we look at peanut introduction in infancy and also changed the guidelines about introduction of peanut allergy. But that was a while ago. So what's happening now?
1: So a lot of the work now is on treating children who are already peanut allergic. Um, So there is a treatment for peanut allergy, still relatively new. It's called oral immunotherapy or OIT. And it does have significant limitations, but it can also be very, very effective for some children. So a recent study looked at OIT in younger children. This is different than previous studies did. This study found that OIT can be effective for children ages one to four years and was actually most effective for children age one to two years. Allergist David Stukas commented on the study and said, this doesn't say that the treatment is right for all children in this age group, but it does emphasize if you have a young child with peanut allergy, you should talk to your physician about the risks and benefits of this treatment because starting early before age two years might increase the chance that OIT works for your child. Now this study had limitations. It was limited by the fact that there were a small number of children aged one to two years in the study. Also the children in the study were all able to tolerate an average of 25 milligrams of peanut protein without reacting. of people with peanut allergy will react to just three milligrams. So it's possible that the most sensitive peanut allergic young children were excluded from the study. That makes it hard to say if OIT is safe or useful for those who are most allergic. Again, what you should really know about this is it's going to possibly be available soon and you should discuss it with your allergist if your child has peanut allergy. If you're going to do OIT, it may be best to do it with your child when they are younger. So
0: for OIT, besides peanut allergy, any other types of food allergy that we can treat with OIT?
1: So interesting. They're looking at other foods now. And a recent study showed that hazelnut allergy can also be treated with OIT. So they took a group of kids after one year of slowly increasing the amount of hazelnut, about half the children could tolerate a single hazelnut. Uh, Like with peanut and any kind of therapy where you're giving a child something that we know they're allergic to, the treatment has risks. More than half of the kids in the study did experience a side effect during treatment, and two of them had severe reactions. Again, this treatment is not widely available at this time, but if it becomes available, parents will have to ask themselves a question, is my child at greater risk from the treatment or from a possible accidental ingestion of hazelnut? Again, these treatments are not curative. What they do is they make it possible to have a very small accidental ingestion and not have a severe reaction.
0: This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit BetterHelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. So just curious as a pediatrician, healthcare professional, author, what are your personal opinions on the effectiveness of these new treatments for food allergy? Are there better ways to treat or maybe better ways to prevent food allergies in children? Because this is like one of those things, like it sounds really sexy and promising, but like, will it play out and really be effective for the general population?
1: Yeah, so, you know, hopefully as these treatments get better, they'll offer more hope and promise, but the limitations of the treatment, the risks of the treatment, and the fact that they're not a cure- tells us once again, nothing is better than prevention. And yes, as a pediatrician, I'm most interested in prevention. So great that we're doing these studies, great that they may be useful uh, and more useful with time to children who are already allergic. But if you have an infant, take advantage of early intervention or early introduction of peanut and other foods to reduce their risk of developing uh, allergies to food.
0: And then as far as prevention goes, can you just remind us? Because like there are risk factors for food allergy, which you control, and then there's ones that you have no control over. So what can we do to help prevent food allergy that's within our control as parents?
1: The major thing you can do is feed the foods early. But in addition to that, there was a a study in 2020, group of leading allergy researchers. They included Dr. Gideon Lack. He's the lead author on the LEAP study I mentioned at the beginning. And uh, they published a review that made a, a very strong case for the theory that the actual root cause, the root cause of food allergy is sensitization through the skin and particularly through a damaged and inflamed skin barrier. So this is called the dual allergen hypothesis. And the hypothesis is that your immune system is meant to encounter food proteins, potential allergens through the mouth, through the gut. And when your immune system encounters these proteins through the skin first, that's when you become allergic, okay? So in addition to starting allergenic foods early, I always tell patients if your infant has damaged skin, and that basically means eczema or really any level of dryness at all, that should be treated so that the skin barrier is intact and you prevent sensitization to a food through the skin,
0: I feel like when parents hear that, they hear, well, I'm just going to go rub peanut butter all over my baby's skin. So could you just remind us why we want to be feeding our babies peanut butter protein and not like splattering it on their skin?
1: Yeah. So in another study, March of 2021, and Dr. Gideon Lack, who seems to be involved in so many- busy. I mean, Dr. Lack is quite a prolific researcher. He is. And this study showed that the more often parents use moisturizer on their infants, the more often they develop food allergy. So I hope everybody's hearing that right. I just said previously, you want to prevent sensitization through the skin by repairing the skin barrier, by using moisturizer and potentially other treatments like cortisone creams. And this study showed that the more often parents use moisturizer, the more often they develop food allergy. Wait,
0: why? I thought the point of the moisturizer is to then help prevent the breakdown in the skin barrier, which in turn breaks down or reduces the risk of food allergy. Is that wrong?
1: Yeah, so this is the really important point in the study, and this is why I bring it up. And it's the finding they had is just a correlation, and correlation is not causation. So I'm going to tell a, just a little story to, to explain that. There's a funny old movie, and, and your listeners are, are <laughs> moms with infants, so probably none of them have heard of it or seen it. Maybe they should. Funny old movie called All of Me with Steve Martin and Lily Tomlin. And in that movie, there's a scene where a guru from rural India who lives a completely austere life, he's unfamiliar with even simple modern amenities, he finds himself in a hotel room and he sees a phone and a toilet for the first time in his life and he has no idea what these things are. He goes into the bathroom and he starts to play with the, the toilet handle and he flushes the toilet and immediately after that, the phone rings. And so he flushes it again and the phone rings again and he does that several times. And he's convinced that flushing the toilet, pressing that handle, makes the phone ring. Now, anybody hearing this on this podcast, it's completely obvious that flushing the toilet is not what made the phone ring. Again, that's just a correlation. And correlation is not causation. But when we hear scientific studies, that is not so obvious to us. And to be fair, without good analysis by really good experts, it's not so obvious even to train you know, medical professionals. So now we understand correlation is not causation. So why did using moisturizer on infants in this particular study, why was that correlated with a higher rate of developing food allergy? Well, some analysis showed that first of all, children whose parents use more moisturizer on them are likely to have worse eczema. And we know kids with worse eczema are more likely to develop food allergy. So to some extent, you just, seeing something that's expected. It's not because of the moisturizer, it's because of the infants who are getting all this additional moisturizer. So that's one reason. In addition to that, not all moisturizers are the same. So certain oils, while perfectly okay to use on non-damaged skin, can actually increase the risk of allergens penetrating the skin. Going back a few more years, there were studies that looked at common skin moisturizers called trilipid creams. That's a cream that has components that are similar to the skin's natural barrier. And those studies found that it decreased eczema and decreased the risk of developing food allergy. More recently, there was a pilot study, and that's a study with a very small number of participants that actually showed that certain skin creams keep skin hydrated better than others. And that's one of the key points of repairing damaged skin, keeping the skin hydrated. And lastly, in terms of more moisturization leading to more food allergies, it's possible and even likely that if you have food allergens on your hands, when you touch your baby's skin, you're actually putting those allergens right on the damaged skin along with the moisturizer you're using, but that could lead to more food allergy. So, although the study did show that more moisturizer correlated with more food allergy, the conclusion that seemed obvious, don't use moisturizer, is absolutely wrong. What we actually learned from this study is use the right cream on your baby and wash your hands first. And so no, don't go rubbing peanut butter all over your baby.
0: All right, Dr. Sunak, sometimes parents will ask us, okay, is there anything I can do when I'm pregnant to help prevent food allergy? Any... It's kind of a hard question to answer because, you know, there's a lot of things that are going on when you're pregnant, but is there any links or research about maternal diet and risk of food allergy in infancy?
1: Yeah, there are. In May of 2021, a group of allergy experts did a big review looking at everything we know about food allergy prevention. And the authors of the study included Karina Venter and Dr. Rushi Gupta, both again, friends of yours and friends of the podcast and also Dr. Leung, who I just mentioned, and of course, who else? Dr. Gideon Lack. And they emphasized that the things you can do to prevent allergy include keeping your baby's skin healthy. And Katie, you're going to like this one. Eat a diverse diet during pregnancy and feed your baby a diverse diet, including the allergens. Okay. So this is somewhat repetitive, but again, they did a review and uh, looked at all the information we have and found that there's just a lot of strong evidence for this. They also found that a healthy microbiome that's having the right friendly germs on the skin and in the digestive tract seem to play a role. But on that front, we need a lot more study to know really how we recommend that to families. In addition to that big review study, another study from 2021 on maternal diet showed that drinking milk during pregnancy and while breastfeeding correlated with a lower incidence of all kinds of food allergy, not just milk, in the children of these mothers. Again, this is correlation. We don't know the actual reason that works. The researchers have a theory that it might be related to the kind of fat in the mother's diet and how this might affect the child's immune system.
0: Dr. Sunog, whenever we're working with parents and they say, okay, well, how much of the allergenic food should we feed and how often? Because we're always advising them. Listen, the guidance is almost, as we say, like intentionally ambiguous, but we need to introduce these allergenic foods early and often. And I know we both have issues with some of the supplement products that are out there that claim that they have, you know, the magic amount of allergenic food A mixed with B that you would sprinkle into your baby's bottle. And is that knowledge known about how much or the early and often messaging, anything that's kind of maybe shoring up these ambiguous recommendations?
1: Yeah, so what we don't know is exact precise amounts that an infant should eat that will definitely decrease the risk of of developing food allergy. What we do know is it needs to be, let us call it real food amounts. And what a lot of those supplements have is absolutely minuscule amounts because they're putting uh, proteins from eight or 10 or 14 foods into one little powder packet. And the amount of protein of each of those foods is absolutely minuscule. Might that work? I can't sit here and tell you it can't possibly work, but we have absolutely no evidence for that. And I don't have a lot of confidence in it.
0: And you make a good point too, sorry to interrupt, but that all the papers that have been researched that have been done on the protective effects of introducing allergenic foods against food allergy have been done using food, not very, very tiny amounts of supplements.
1: That's exactly right. And exactly in line with that, there was a study last year, that looked at children who ate egg before one year of age, so early, and how they had less egg allergy than those who started later. Now, simply that fact is not new. But what was new here is, they looked at how much egg these uh, children ate. And so they found that children who had egg allergy at six years of age, they looked back to see how much egg they had eaten, and they had eaten about the equivalent of one egg every 10 weeks During infancy. The children at age six who did not have egg allergy had been eating about an egg a week during infancy. So the real point here is early and often includes often. So how do you do that in practice? I'd simply tell my parents, frankly, what you tell yours, make it part of a
0: regular healthy diet but don't feed the same food every day because parents discover eggs. and are like, oh, this is easy. It's the only iron food I'm ever going to feed the baby. So we don't do the same food every single day, but you do want to cycle them back in. And to tack onto what you said, I, I just want to remind parents that a lot of them will find the LEAP study and read it, which is great. And they'll see, okay, in the LEAP study, the intervention included six grams of peanut protein per week. So they're like, okay, fine. Then I'm going to find a supplement program that gives my baby exactly six grams of peanut protein per week. But as you always remind us, there's nothing to say that had the researchers done any more or any less number of grams of peanut protein per week that it would have been any more or any less effective at preventing food allergy. That just happened to be the protocol in that one particular study, right?
1: That's correct. I would, again, caution against using minuscule powder amounts, which are micrograms. And expensive. And expensive. And also caution against the idea that you need to use it you need to feed some food every single day. Keep in mind, the study I just mentioned, we were talking about an egg a week being very effective. That's a real amount of protein. That's a real food. That's the way to do it. There's a big, happy middle between microgram amounts in powder and the feeling right idea you have to eat something every single day.
0: Yeah. But the parents really, I mean, I understand a lot of parents, even like I know a number of pediatricians who recommend some of those programs. And I'm like, well, a if you're an affiliate for them, you should be disclosing that. But on top of that, they said, well, parents just want an easy solution. And my answer is like, well, feeding children real food is not easy, but it is something you have to do for the next 17 and a half years of that now baby's life. So it makes sense to teach babies how to eat food versions of these foods. And that's obviously all the work that I'm doing and you and I have done together in the allergenic world. But what do you say to parents who are just uneasy about the idea of introducing allergenic foods to their babies and they're going to lean into these expensive supplement models or just even worse, not do them at all because they're scared of them? I would say that the studies show that it's the food that works. Besides baby led weaning, what other type of podcasts do you like to listen to? Every episode of Slaycation also includes humor and takeaway and travel tips that are going to keep your next family vacation from becoming your last. So if you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The studies do not show that these uh, supplements work and It's also really important to remember that even before we knew that starting these foods early can prevent food allergy, we knew that starting these foods early was safe.
0: And I think it's important to remind parents that the only risk factor for food allergy that you control is your ability to introduce allergenic foods during that protective window. And we have fairly good research to indicate that that protective window closes at around 11 months of age. So you have from the time your baby turns six months of age, when the baby is safe to be eating anything except breast milk or formula, until 11 months of age to introduce at least the nine allergenic foods early and often. Lots of different foods too because the allergenic foods are just nine foods, but you have a lot of time. You don't have to do it every day. But our recommendation is if you do at least one a week and do it early and often, you can get all those allergenic foods in during that important critical window where you still can prevent food allergy.
1: That's exactly right. And and I'm just go ahead and mention another study looked at more than 2000 infants because you you mentioned introducing the nine allergenic foods and of course your program talks about introducing a lot more foods and studies are showing that simply a diverse diet, so simply introducing more foods, not just the allergenic foods, uh reduces the risk of allergy. So In this particular study, this was published just a few months ago. And again, 2,000 infants, those who'd eaten more food groups by six months and 12 months of age had less allergy, including uh, runny nose, cough, eczema, and food allergy. All those allergies at one to two years of age. Really important here too, speaks to exactly one of the things you said just a couple of minutes ago. So children who started solids before four months of age were excluded from this study. So you do not need to get the idea that you need to get like a head start before a child is ready to eat solids.
0: Because that's important. It's definitely not been borne out in the research that starting any earlier is more protective. And again, we want to reiterate from the LEAP study for children who are at high risk for peanut allergy. That is only children who already have an established egg allergy and or severe eczema. And we're not talking run-of-the-mill eczema that all your babies have. Egg allergy and or severe eczema, those are the only two high-risk criteria for peanut allergy. Those are the only babies who should even consider doing peanut before six months of age. And then you really want to do that under the guidance of your pediatrician or you're already working with an allergist in many cases to make sure that you're doing it safely. The rest of you, which is almost literally, so the vast majority of other babies, there's no benefit to starting before six months of age. And at six months of age, babies can start eating real food. So you don't need any of these expensive subscription supplement models, your baby can learn to eat real food. They have to learn how to eat real food. And you can use food as a way to introduce the allergenic protein to your baby at six months of age, between six and 11 months of age, and get that protective benefit by using real food.
1: And let me just add to what you just said. So you're exactly right about which infants are high risk, but risk just means risk. It does not mean that they are already peanut allergic. Correct. And so- It's recommended that you speak to your pediatrician about being tested for peanut allergy if you have a high-risk infant uh, to see if it is safe for you to just go ahead and start peanut. And 90% of the high-risk infants, again, those with severe eczema or egg allergy, will be safe to eat peanut. Now, the other 10% may react, and this is a more involved discussion. You should talk to your pediatrician about what to do. But just because your infant is high-risk That's a reason to be cautious, not a reason not to introduce the food early.
0: And for those of you who are like, well, this sounds scary. I'll just go test for every single allergen under the sun. Don't do it. It's important to note that 50% of positive results in food allergy tests are false positive. So again, we had Dr. Stukas on if you are interested in this topic. Episode 125 is why are false positive results in food allergy testing so common with David Stukas, MD? And that's an important conversation because blanket testing and pediatricians mismanaging food allergy testing is a huge problem. You should never test your baby for an allergenic food that the baby has not yet reacted to unless your baby already has egg allergy or severe eczema, at which point we're concerned about peanut allergy risk.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. That's a great episode with Dr. Stugas. I I enjoyed myself. And since we're talking about peanut, let's talk a little bit about, if you don't mind, uh, another, some new information about How has early introduction actually changed things? So we've had enough time now to see some results in that. A very recent study looked at the rates of food allergy anaphylaxis at three specific periods of time in Australia. So the three periods they looked at is the time when doctors used to advise uh, parents to keep the big A foods from their infants. Then there was that period of time when they said, well, you don't have to keep these foods away from infants. You can give it to them if you want but it's not necessary or important. And then finally, more recently, when physicians and other experts started to advise parents to feed these foods during infancy, the bad news is that the rate of food allergy actually is still going up. But the good news is the rate is going up much more slowly since the recommendation of early introduction. To be fair, I have to point out again, this correlation doesn't prove cause and effect. But with everything else we know about early introduction at this point, it supports early introduction. Here's another really important finding from that study. The rate of anaphylaxis in children under the age of one year actually went up faster. That can sound a little frightening, but it actually makes sense. Previously, when infants weren't eating certain foods because parents were delaying the introduction of those foods to infants, they couldn't react to it. You can't react to something you're not eating. Okay. here's the thing to remember uh, about why that really isn't as scary as it sounds. Early introduction decreases your child's overall risk of developing food allergy. Also, an anaphylactic reaction during infancy is less likely to be severe than if it occurs when your child is older. So remember to start early. Uh, The younger your infant is when they start a food, the less likely that they are already allergic. But do not start before they are actually ready for solids.
0: All right, Dr. Sunog, all of this is predicated around a pediatrician actually talking to parents about this if they don't hear it from other credentialed healthcare professionals like you and me. Tell us about your book if you can, because I know it's something that's of interest to both pediatricians and to parents who maybe are confused by these messages or, or aren't clear on exactly why we use food to introduce allergenic foods to babies.
1: Right. So um, after the LEAP study in 2015, I got really interested in early introduction to foods to prevent allergy. The LEAP study, again, was just about peanut, but I did a lot of research of uh, previous studies and articles and discovered that although there was nothing that rose to the level of LEAP in terms of the strength of the evidence, there was a lot of uh, reasonably good evidence that early introduction to foods uh, was helpful. Based on that, uh, I went ahead and uh, wrote a book a few years ago. Eat the uh, Eighth, and I've been trying to uh, encourage uh, the parents of my practice to adopt that since that time. And unfortunately, like most things, and I address this in the book. Uh, to some extent, it's understandable. Uh, new ideas, changing how we do things, not easy, and uh, it's been slower to catch on than uh, we would
0: hope. But it is catching on. It's called job security. It's slow to catch on, but they need us to keep reminding them of the message because literally routinely I'll have parents who are like, my pediatrician says, don't introduce egg until after one. I was like, well, that's 20 year old advice. So maybe you should consider getting a new pediatrician because there unfortunately still are practitioners who are not getting the message or recognizing, okay, the guidelines have changed dramatically. This is all evidence-based and we we don't wait. Withholding is actually increasing the risk of food allergy, not the opposite. That's exactly right. All right, Dr. Sunag, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate this roundup. I feel like you're sitting there in your office, like reading all of these dense articles and then just summarizing them for us. So thanks for saving us a lot of time, but also helping to get many of these messages and this research clear so that parents can utilize it and put it into practice inside of their own families. Uh, Pleasure to do it. Okay, would it have taken me like weeks to find those articles, read those articles, and I probably would have like have to ask him what most of the data and them mean anyway. So I really appreciate Dr. Sunag summarizing some of the things that are new in food allergy. And then we were talking after the interview too, like sometimes it's really frustrating because like you think you have something nailed down and then something changes. And kind of joke around like, oh, that's job security. Like I know for me as a dietitian, like one week eggs are bad, and the next week eggs are good. It's like, hey, no one knows about eggs, why they need dietitians to help interpret the research. I'm really glad for Dr. Sudog to interpret the research for us in food allergy because stuff is changing. It's actually, you might not think this, but it's a very exciting time to be introducing solid foods to your babies because we do have this real and emerging body of evidence that supports the use of food and the introduction of food early and often to prevent food allergy. And so I think of it as my job to help you guys know how to make those foods safe because you certainly can use food to prevent food allergy. So I'll go ahead and link to all of the research articles that Dr. Sunag mentioned today as well as some of his other resources. He's been on the podcast a number of times, and we also mentioned some other food allergy-related episodes. So if you want to like go down your own rabbit hole of food allergy prevention research, I'll put that all on the show notes for you guys, which you can find at blwpodcast.com forward slash 216. Thanks so much for listening. Bye now.